The scripture today is from Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 to 37. You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister And then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are on the way to court with him. Or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that anyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go to hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for the ground of unchastity, causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, You shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let your word be, let your word be yes, yes. Or no, no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. May God use this in your heart. Lewis Carroll wrote a poem a long time ago called The Bellman's Speech about a captain who follows a map that is completely blank. Here's a couple stanzas. Other maps are such shapes with their islands and capes, but we've got our brave captain to thank. So the crew would protest that he's bought us the best, a perfect and absolute blank. This was charming, no doubt, but they shortly found out that the captain they trusted so well had only one notion for crossing the ocean, and that was to tingle his bell. It's an odd little poem, and I'm not sure it fits, but I, there it is, and... But it, may, it makes me think that <clears throat> here Jesus in the text today is drawing attention to the fact that Moses had written this wonderful book of laws 
And in the time between then and Jesus' time, they had become like a blank map that was guiding people nowhere near close to God. And in fact, had become an obstacle, something that got in the way of people's relationship with God. And this next section of the Sermon on the Mount, which we've been talking about for the, for the last uh, few weeks, deals with the, the ethics code and the moral code that comes to us from the Mosaic Law. And in this part, and it's, we'll deal a little bit with it next week as well, in this part, it's really about how we live together. It doesn't especially re- address one's relationship with God so much as how we live in relationship with each other. It's about the ethics and the morals of being a community, of being a humanity, of being together as people. And the dis- this discussion about the law here in Matthew really gets at the heart of a problem that seems to be so inherent in our humanity. It seems that the minute we take a guideline and we codify it into law, we suddenly stop focusing on the intent and we focus solely on the letter of the law. And when I think we can all admit that in real life, it's often much, much more complicated than the black and white rules put down in the law and the law would acknowledge before us. Life is so much more complicated than, than just those legalism ideas that get codified in writing. So here, Jesus takes us through four topics covered in the law of Moses. There are a lot more, as you well know. There's a lot of laws in the, in the Mosaic Law. Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and a few others, Numbers. And, but Jesus picks these four to talk about today. They are murder, adultery, divorce, and taking oaths. And as we stated last week in last week's text, Jesus didn't come to abolish these laws, but to fulfill them. And I think what Jesus means by that is that he seems eager to point out that the law in itself does not seem to convey the principle at the heart of the law. It's almost like having a map that's blank. And so let's look at these topics that Jesus highlights here today and see if we can get at what Jesus is talking about when it comes to our relationship with the law and how it might be applied to our lives together. Murder. First you have heard it said in ancient times, you shall not murder. Well, that's that's brilliant insight, I think. You shouldn't murder. <laughs> I think that seems a bit obvious, actually. Jesus acknowledges, yes, you shouldn't murder. And if you could avoid it, you should feel good about that. Right? Not murdering. I think that's commendable. But Jesus here really wants to talk about the enmity that comes between people and causes an end to right relationships. I mean, it's almost as if Jesus says, Okay, you know, murder, I think we can all agree. There's, no, there's very few people out there that, that really would make a case that this law is silly. We really ought not have this on the books, murder. We ought to be able to murder anytime we want, right? But Jesus wants to say, you know what, there are bigger problems than murder out there. Jesus wants to talk about 
relationships. Jesus wants to talk about reconciliation. Jesus wants to talk about forgiveness. And if we could all live in reconciled relationship, except for a few mental illnesses out there, we probably wouldn't have murder. Right? So it's great when you don't murder. Good job. But we could never live in a spirit of love and trust if people could murder each other. But this really doesn't say much to the average person. However, we cannot live in community when we let ill will and, and animosity fester and grow between us. We cannot be the body of Christ. We cannot be a family if we let ill will fester and grow. We cannot be the kingdom of God if we cannot overcome our disagreements or our hurts or the things that we have done or the things that have been done to us and be reconciled to each other. I couldn't live in a house where people were not speaking to each other because they're mad about something. I couldn't live like that. Why should we live that way in the church? You can't live like that and be the body of Christ if you can't be in the room with your brother or your sister because of ill will. And I know, I know we got some personalities. I know we got some stubbornness. Just like in my family, I gotta tell you, we're not all as pleasant as I am. <laughs> I know that it can be difficult. Uh, you all got some personalities, and sometimes those personalities clash with one another. And I know that it's difficult. But it is a testimony to the power of Jesus Christ that we can be the church, the family, the community together when you are able to let Jesus transcend those differences, transcend those angers, transcend those hurt feelings, and be reconciled to one another for the sake of the kingdom of God. We cannot do our work together when you're not speaking to one another or when you're mad or when you just don't like each other. I, you know, Jesus said it. I'm just repeating it. So, you know, maybe we're doing good to not murder each other, but Jesus is hoping that we go a little deeper and come to a place where our love for one another transcends our shortcomings toward each other. Can you see where Jesus is going with this law thing? Murder doesn't even begin to touch on what goes on between human beings and the harm that we can do. When we murder our relationships and end them, it hurts the body of Christ. And that's the principle. It's reconciliation is the principle that Jesus wants to talk about. Adultery. You've heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. But even if you look at a woman with lust in your heart and you have already committed, then you have already committed adultery in your heart. I can tell you that when I was a youth pastor, this passage came up a lot for some reason. Adolescent boys seem pretty concerned about this little text. Uh, you know, Pastor Curtis, is really, if I look, like, how much lust, I mean, is really a problem? I mean, even a little bit? I mean, you know, what? Uh, adolescent boys, you know, they, they fret about the black and white stuff in the Bible and they'll... 
And we'll have long conversations about, about all of this. And I have to say, I appreciate what Jesus is saying here because it really does get at the heart of the matter. I, you know, as mature people here, we can all recognize that a whole lot of things can happen that are not healthy, that can destroy a relationship long before adultery, long before crossing that line, right? And it begins with this objectification. And in this passage, because of the time and the place that it is in, the onus is on, placed on the men, right? It's men who are looking at women with lust in their eyes. i got to tell you, it's not all that much different these days, but I think we can agree that women are also uh, capable of lusting too. Uh, but I will say that women in our culture have really become objectified by the media, by the world we live in, by everything. Look at a magazine. And, you know, my poor daughter, your daughter, they face all kinds of body image issues as they try to grow up into maturity. Boys are shown that to be a beautiful woman, they must look like one of these airbrushed models. And I'm, you know, there's some of that on the men's side too. Boys are given a particular image. And when we start to turn people into objects, it certainly becomes a lot easier to not treat them as a brother or a sister in Christ, to not treat them as a beloved child of God, to not treat them with equity, and to acknowledge that here is someone who's just as worthy as I am of mutual respect and honor I think that's what Jesus wants to talk about. A lot happens before adultery happens that can ruin a relationship. And I think it begins with how do we perceive one another? How do, how do we look out into the world and look at people around us? Uh, Jesus is addressing this issue right here. A th- you know, 2,000 years ago. And yet, it affects society today so clearly when we merely see other people as objects of lust and desire. It is also said that if a man wishes to divorce his wife, he should give her a certificate of divorce. Can I acknowledge for a moment that this is a really difficult passage to talk about today? And I'm acknowledging that because right now I'm in the middle. Um, my wife Robin and I are in the middle of a divorce. But I also I want to acknowledge that there are, there are a lot of people in this community who have gone through that very painful process, that very difficult thing. And these passages are hard to... I've got to tell you, as a preacher, it's hard to preach on them when I'm right in the middle of it. And it's, hard, it's hard to hear them sometimes because these passages you know, stir up some of that pain. They also have been used quite a bit to make a case for being stuck in difficult relationships and difficult situations, even abusive relationships and abusive situations. Um, So I want to just acknowledge, it's a little tricky for me today to talk about all of this. But I also want to say that divorce in Jesus' time went like this. Hi honey, I'm home. Get out. I'll put it in writing. 
let me put it in writing. Get out. Pack up your things and go. End of story. That's how it was handled in Jesus' time. And I'm talking about it's the man who comes home and says to the woman, get out. You know what? I've had my eye on a younger version of you down the road, uh, so I'm, I'm ready to move on. See you later. Get on out of there. And that was it. And everyone in the village assumed that you had been caught in adultery. That's why Jesus brings that up. In Mark, Jesus says there is no, no excuse for divorce. So it depends on who you listen to, right? Matthew says, well, in, in, except for adultery, because everyone's going to assume that's why you're being kicked out anyway. So I think, you know, one of the things that, that marriage did in the time of Christ is, is that it was a, a way of making sure that everyone got taken care of. There was really no status for women in culture or in society. And so when a man came home, for whatever reason, and a man could divorce his wife for any reason. He didn't have to have a reason. It's a right to divorce state in, in uh, uh, first century Palestine. Could divorce for any reason, and it would, it would, she would be stigmatized because there was an assumption about all of that. And... Um, but marriage had become a way in first century Jewish culture to take care of women, right? You stay in your household until your father arranges for you to be cared after by some other family, by some other man who is going to marry you and produce children. And when he dies, your children will take care of you. Outside of that structure, there really was no option except for prostitution. Or sometimes you could go home and be a servant in your father's household if he wasn't mad at you, if he didn't assume that you had been caught in adultery. So when Jesus says, you, you've heard it said, go ahead, the law says you can write a, a divorce certificate anytime you want. Sure, that's what the law says, but you have gone way overboard when you divorce for no good reason at all. Basically, Jesus is saying, you need to take that covenant seriously. You need to take care of that. So Jesus is saying a couple of things here. First, sure the law allows you to divorce, but this is not to be taken lightly. Marriage vows are to be taken gravely seriously. Right? And, and this definitely applies to us today. And I can tell you that those of us who are going through the issue, have gone through or are going through divorce, we take it seriously. It's not, it's not that. Right? Second, there is a social structure here that is in place to make sure women are cared for and that must be honored or women are left out in the cold. And this really isn't the issue anymore. Women... Women are free to be independent and are not relying on this social construct to survive and thrive. And so the issue, the structures that were in place of which marriage in the time was one of those to care after women, those structures have changed. And marriage is not about that anymore. It's about a whole healthy relationship where two people can thrive and grow together the rest of their lives and short of that 
uh, people are free to be able to go and pursue that life once things have dissolved and not become that anymore. Oaths are the next subject that are taken up. Jesus talks about oaths. Oath-taking is something that we do. It's kind of an odd thing. So we say something, and it's as though people don't believe us. And so we say, oh, you know what? I swear on a stack of Bibles. I swear on my mother's grave, whatever that means. I swear that I am telling the truth. This is the gospel truth, God honest truth. I swear, I promise, right? And really the suggestion is that when you say other things, it's not really obligated to be true, right? Because you haven't taken an oath, right? Oh, uh, you know, you should try this. It's really good. Do you swear? Well, no. No, I don't want to do that. (laughs) But go ahead and try it anyway, right? We're not going to jump into that thing. So, you know, it's as if if, when you have to take an oath, this is what Jesus is saying, I think. When you have to take an oath, it's as if the rest of the time you're not really telling the truth. It's as if you only are telling, you're only obligated to be honest when you swear by something, swear on a stack of Bibles or, or something to that effect. Here Jesus is telling us that every utterance that comes out of our mouth ought to have the integrity of truth. That when you say yes, you ought to mean yes. And when you say no, you ought to mean no. I mean, and, you know, and I'm not talking about when Pastor Curtis says, does this pulpit make me look fat? You know, that's, you know, you can be kind. <laughs> you can be kind and still have the integrity of truth, right? You can say, no, those extra pounds make you look fat. <laughs> so Jesus chooses these laws to discuss here, but there are many, many more laws to talk about. And it's clear that he intends to convey a principle, not a new set of rules to follow. This is a problem that the Christianity has fallen into is oftentimes we get hung up on these passages as though they were a completely new set of rules to follow. When in fact they are mere Jesus is pointing out, don't get hung up on the rules, but start to look at the principles that were at the heart of the rules, of the laws. The principle of valuing equitable relationship. The principle of honoring people not as objects, but as people. The principle of taking vows seriously and not using the law to get out of them frivolously. The principle of being honest all the time. These are at the heart of the Christian ethics that Jesus is talking about here. And don't use the law to try and get out of the principle. And that's what was happening. That's what we do all the time too. Can we, can we be real? That's what we do all the time. If it's if the law says this, then I can do everything else, <laughs> right? The overarching message here seems to be about not getting caught up in the minutia of parsing the rules to find the loopholes to exploit or to read them so black and white that we cannot that that we are able to sit back in judgment of others. Well, I follow that rule; they don't. I'm better than they are. We are encouraged here to go deeper than the letter of the law and to seek an understanding that honors the foundational principles that God has conveyed to us from creation 
until today. And people look at this is this is this is the fallacy that we've run into. That so often the 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 churches of a more fundamentalist ilk want to make things very black and white and to look at these and say here are new laws that you must follow and they look at us and they go they just ignore the law they just throw away things they don't like they just get rid of morality altogether you wouldn't believe how often i people think that we just don't care about morality that is so not true but we care about a morality that gets to the heart of the matter. Following a bunch of rules isn't morality. It's indoctrination. And it's not, it's not an honest evaluation of where one's heart is. Amen. Amen. Thank you. It's not an honest look at what are my motives? Where is my love? Where is the morality that's ingrained within me, that's given to me by the Spirit of God that comes down to me? When, when Paul says that Jesus came to free us from the law and that we should be in step with the Spirit, that's what he's talking about. Don't get hung up on the law, but let the Holy Spirit point you to the principles of morality that really ought to guide our life together. So often these days, the law moves us this direction, but the principles of morality that the Holy Spirit instills within us moves us this direction and puts us in direct conflict with those who want to make black and white answers and codify them for everyone else. So we are encouraged today to go deeper. Don't take the easy road of just following the rules. But go deeper and seek an honest, God-born, Spirit-revealed, Jesus-encouraged morality that guides our life together that is grounded in one thing, love. The love God has for us and the love we're encouraged to have for one another. Let's pray. Great and loving God, thank You so much for all that You do and all that You are. Thank You so much that You are concerned about how we live one another bound together in community. May we adopt a morality that is deep and a morality that is something that must be worked at and looked to, something that we have to look to You to obtain a God-sized morality. We thank You for it. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.